0: You're listening to The Jeff Cavins Show, episode 171, Hebrews, an inside look at the mass. Hey, I'm Jeff Cavins. How do you simplify your life? How do you study the Bible? All the way from motorcycle trips to raising kids, we're gonna talk about the faith and life in general. It's The Jeff Cavens Show. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This is going to be a special show. I have a, a very special guest, and, and perhaps you've heard of him. Maybe you are involved in Focus. Maybe you're involved in, uh, uh, or a graduate of Benedictine College out in Atchison, Kansas. Well, you'll know very well, who my guest is today, and it's Dr. Andrew Swafford. Dr. Andrew Swafford. But before we get to that, I want to ask you a question. Is there, is there a book in the Bible, uh, Old Testament or New Testament, that you really struggle with? And Leviticus doesn't count, because I know you're going to put that on the list. So we'll, we'll limit it to the New Testament. Is there a book in the New Testament that you really, really struggle with? Well, in all the years that I've been teaching, when I, ask people, uh, when I ask people which book is the hardest for them to get their mind around, well, they say Revelation, typically, but there's also another one that they mention, and that is the letter to the Hebrews. And the reason for that is that so much of what you encounter in the letter to the Hebrews really deals with the Old Testament and the details of the Old Testament. And if you don't know those details from the Old Testament, then you are really going to struggle with the letter to the Hebrews. One of the questions that I get so often is, "How how do I really understand the New Testament, and specifically the Gospels? And even more specifically, how do I understand the teachings of Jesus? And my answer is always the same, and that is, you have to be acquainted with the Old Testament and people typically will think of the Old Testament as dry and boring, and it doesn't, it doesn't really relate to us. It's of no consequence, and that just simply isn't true. It was all written for us, and we find that in Jesus Christ, there is the culmination to this amazing story that begins in the Old Testament. You know that reading uh, the book of Hebrews is similar to Uh, watching or listening to the details of a movie but haven't, you haven't seen the movie. Like if I started to talk to you about ruby slippers and scarecrows and, and tin men and monkeys that fly and wicked witches and a man behind the curtain and yellow brick roads and all of that would seem very foreign to you unless you've seen the movie the Wizard of Oz, and it's the same way with uh, the letter to the Hebrews. So it's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure for me to introduce to you uh, teaching scripture and theology at uh, Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. It's the second study that I've been privileged to work with him on, and that is uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Andrew Swafford. Dr. Swafford, welcome.
1: Jeff, thanks for having me on. It's so good to be with you.
0: It is good. And it wasn't too long ago that we actually, uh, I was privileged to work with you on, um, on this uh, letter to the Hebrews. We worked on Romans together and you did such a, such, such a great job. They, they, they signed you up again. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> they, they, they took me for another round. Well, Jeff, it's always been, it's, it's fun, to, fun to work with you, fun to learn from you, fun to go, go back and forth and, and banter and uh, just have a good time together.
0: Well, you know, this, um, the, the letter to the Hebrews, as I'm sure when you were preparing for the study, and I was preparing for the study, at first it's like, wow, this is, going to be, this is going to be difficult because there's so many foreign concepts and words and Old Testament ideas. But once I got into it, I started to realize, wow, this is really, really rich
1: it's one of my favorite books it's such a gem it uh you know you're right that you have to know the old that that really you can't get very far anywhere in the new testament at all without having paul or someone else preach the kerygma preach the gospel uh without recourse to the old testament uh you know saint augustine liked to say that uh, the old is revealed in the new and the new is concealed in the old and the same is true here hebrews really it's the analogy came to my mind as preparing for the study Uh, is that it's like the Holy of Holies of biblical theology. Mm -hmm. It's like going into the inner chambers of what God has revealed. And as you said, the the culmination in Christ and just so many gems just unfold when you've been able to follow the story. Uh, And it just, I find it exhilarating.
0: Well, so many times we receive questions in, uh, in what I would call the area of apologetics, you know, where people are saying, well, you know, why this about the Eucharist? Why this about Jesus? Why this about forgiveness of sins and so forth? And I found in studying Hebrews that there were so many apologetic answers. Apologetics, for those of you that uh, are not familiar, is simply a defending of the faith. It's an explaining of the faith. And, and there really is a, a lot of answers to basic questions that, that, that people have, you know, uh, about the priesthood, about uh, forgiveness, about uh, the blood of Jesus and sacrifice and, and so forth. So as we look, if we look at the, the, the letter to the Hebrews, one of the major themes that comes out that we, we definitely need to know something of the Old Testament is this whole idea of, of the priesthood. And and that really is centered to the teaching that you that you give in the letter to the Hebrews. And so give us a little background on the priesthood in the Old Testament and how how Jesus really is uh I can we say uh taking the priesthood and biggie sizing it.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a supersized version. That you know I, I think the key to all of this, the key to following the thought of the New Testament writers, of the author of Hebrews, is, is seen, as you said the story of Jesus, the new covenant on the heels of the old and in fulfillment of the old. Uh, you know, you've got that line from Jesus in Matthew 23, nine, you'll call no man father. Well, what are we doing running around calling our priests father? Right? Well, there's a, there's a long backstory here. And, and of course, Jesus doesn't mean that in a literalistic way. He's talking about don't uh, simply uh, reach out for honorific titles and the like. Um, but you can go back really to Adam in the garden, uh, but certainly the patriarchs, uh, Abraham, Isaac, go back to Noah, they build altars, they offer sacrifice, they give the blessing, they do all these priestly things. And so it's really important to re- recognize that there's, there's multiple layers of priesthood in the Old Testament. It's not just the Levites. They become the priestly tribe after the golden calf and because of the golden calf. But before that, before that you have what's called the patriarchal priesthood, which is really a spiritual fatherhood. Uh, you have a vestige of this in Judges 17 and 18 when um, you, you have this man named Micah, says to a younger man, a younger Levite, says, be to me a, quote, father and a priest. Uh, so you really have the sense of priesthood and spiritual fatherhood. And when Jesus calls the 12 apostles, what's that calling to mind? The 12 tribes of Israel. These are like 12 new patriarchs. He's restoring and elevating the patriarchal priesthood. And that patriarchal priesthood is embodied quintessentially in Melchizedek. And so Mm -hmm. Hebrews, especially chapter seven, is all about Jesus is a priest, not according to the order of Levi, but the order of Melchizedek. And he restores and elevates in a heavenly key uh, what those ancient patriarchs had of old. Uh, And this is why priests are rightly called father, because they are supernatural fathers in Christ. And Jesus is the one priest, and he continues to exercise his priesthood through our ordained priests.
0: Now, as you look at the as you look at the Old Testament uh, priests, the priests came out of the whole Mount Sinai experience. You know, prior to. Uh, prior to the golden calf incident in Exodus 32, you had kind of a, a pastoral priesthood where, where the, the leader of the home acted as a as a priest. But, but then everything changed, and there are certain times in the Bible when we look through salvation history, as we teach in The Great Adventure, I might add, where everything changes. And when they were at Mount Sinai for one year, uh, everything changed. And and a lot of people don't catch that, that at Mount Sinai you have a new priesthood, you have the introduction of the law, and you have the introduction of the tabernacle. And that tabernacle and the priesthood are two principal topics that Jesus is going to fulfill here, and and that also carries on into our own Catholic churches— in terms of the priesthood, and in terms of the the tabernacle and the holy in the holy of holies, well, when when they created that that tabernacle, it says that uh, Moses created it after a pattern. So this isn't something that's just made up in Exodus 32, um, and as a result of the the covenant in Exodus 24, then the broken covenant. This is something that transcends their their uh, Sinai experience, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. And you you're, you're mentioned that, that word tabneath, make it this. So Moses goes up Mount Sinai, he receives the instructions for the tabernacle. And in the top of Sinai, this is God's presence. This is sort of a prototype of heaven itself. And Moses told, make the tabernacle according to this heavenly pattern. And so the tabernacle becomes kind of a, a uh, continuation of the Sinai theophany with his people. Uh, the tabernacle and then later the temple becomes kind of a prototype. Um, a foreshadowing of the heavenly worship, the heavenly liturgy that's going on in heaven. And that whole Sinai experience, as you say, it just it's, it's, it's dramatic in so many different ways. Um, one on a kind of a positive level, you have the uh, sacrifice that seals the covenant in Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8. And you have Moses saying, behold, the blood of the covenant. Words that our Lord Jesus picks up explicitly at the Last Supper. And then right after that passage in Exodus 24, if you go three verses later, Exodus 24, 11, you have this communion meal on the top of Mount Sinai in the presence of God. And all of this really gives rise to deep Jewish expectation that in the Messianic age, there'll be a Messianic banquet, a communion meal in the very presence of God. And the tabernacle becomes a foreshadowing of all that. You've got the bread of the presence, the Lechem uh, Hapanim in the, holy place of the tabernacle, which becomes kind of a commemoration meal of that heavenly banquet meal on the top of Mount Sinai. And it's sort of a a memorialization, a a making present of that meal. Well, What's Jesus doing the Last Supper? This is the new covenant. This is the new uh, covenant in my blood, the blood of the covenant. And here, do this in memory of me. And here's this commemoration memorial meal that's not just a remembering. It's a making present Mm -hmm. of this messianic banquet meal in the very presence of God, the wedding supper of the Lamb. And all of this movement uh, from the old to the new, from the earthly to the heavenly, because what happens in Christ, what happens in the new covenant is now we no longer imitate that heavenly liturgy. We actually share in it because Christ has reconciled heaven and earth. And so when we go to mass, when we receive our Lord, we enter this messianic banquet meal, this wedding supper of the lamb. It's a memorial. It's a making present Mm -hmm. of, As we all know, the Last Supper, the cross, all of it in one dynamic. And what Hebrews brings out so powerfully is that Jesus continues this self-offering. He presents it before our Father in heaven uh, in and through his ascension. And it's, it's the same offering as the cross, but it's through his glorified and risen humanity. And that's the Messianic banquet meal that is present whenever we go to Mass.
0: So you, you have in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, you have the priests who are from the tribe of Levi. Uh, we see for the first time now, here we have this uh, a whole tribe, they make up the priests. And then the, the line of Moses and Aaron are high priests. So the high priest has a different role than your regular run-of-the-mill Levitical priest. And, and it's that high priest who is responsible for uh, the atonement of sin in the nation of Israel. And what is, what does the high priest do every year that deals with the sins of Israel, which we're going to find out is really not enough.
1: So here, this is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, right? A a, a fall feast, uh, a sacred feast. You can read about Leviticus 16. Um, The uh, so you have the golden calf and you have the, uh, tabernacle Levitical apparatus that comes out of that and, and what you have kind of in its own context in its own day um, previously when when Israel entered in this covenant and the sacrifice of the blood all of this is kind of a, sw- a sworn oath uh, this is how it had been understood at the time and it's in effect um, pre enacting a sort of a conditional self curse may this happen to me if I'm unfaithful and Israel is obviously unfaithful to the golden calf. what happens is God does not give out that covenant curse he actually suspends it he delays it Mm -hmm. uh in the day of atonement for example uh bears that covenant curse symbolically It, it doesn't take away sin but it's a symbolic taking away of sin it's a reminder of sin um, but but not redemptively, not entirely, only symbolically. Uh, and Israel's story, we have to keep in mind always. It always is an embodiment of humanity's story. So it's not just the golden, as right, the rabbis right. say. What what the forbidden fruit was to Adam in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden, the golden calf is to Israel. So it's not just about Israel. It's not about the golden calf. But they are really an embodiment of humanity's. It's all of us. God, absolutely. And so, but that what that sets up though is this expectation that one day, one day, a new high priest will come along who can bear this curse, this kind of alienation from God, but do so redemptively and reconcile with God, reconcile heaven and earth once again. Uh, And that's really how Jesus um, fulfills what the high priests of old were symbolizing and typologically Mm -hmm. foreshadowing.
0: And so it tells us in the letter to the Hebrews that Jesus is going to do what the high priest in the old Testament does. He's going to go behind the curtain and that tabernacle was made up of a holy area, which was a, a kind of an oblong square, and uh, and then you have the holy of holies, which was a perfect cube, and the high priest went into the holy of holies, and it was so, it was so special, so holy that they even had to tie on uh, a type of bell onto the legs of the high priest, you know, on his garments, in case he, uh, in case he died in there, they'd pull him out, you know. And and it's this going behind the veil that Jesus does for us. And and what's what's different than the Old Testament is that is that the the great high priest Jesus is also the sacrifice.
1: Right. I mean in a real deep sense, sacrifice is a ritualized self-offering, even in the old testament. But in Jesus, you've got the perfect union of both priest and victim, of the one offering and what is offered. You, you mentioned the uh, the veil, the curtain, in the Holy of Holies. Now, just think about how relevant this is for us. I mean, in the holy place, you've got the menorah. Um, you've got the, the veil through which one would enter the Holy of Holies. I mean, has anybody ever seen a golden box in our churches, like in the sanctuary, <laughs> with a veil over that golden box? This Rings is a bell. Yeah and how about how about the yeah how about the incense you have the golden incense altar in that holy place how about having some candles on that altar think of the menorah this is not just happenstance this isn't just kind of oh we thought this would be cute no this is this is deep typological <laughs> fulfillment and you mentioned that veil i mean this is um so yes in the in the tabernacle and in the temple and the, the tabernacle itself there's a bit of a i suppose a paradox on the one hand it's a great tremendous just astonishing gift that the Sinai experience, the presence of God would go with his people. There's also a sense that because of the golden calf, God's presence is now removed from his people. So when you have the tabernacle, as you said, only the high priest can go in and only once a year on the day of atonement. Um, and, and only with the blood of bulls, by the way, probably a, a hearkening back to the golden calf that got them into this mess. And then even when they have the camp set up, if you look at numbers one through four, um, the Levites camp on all sides of the tabernacle, is kind of a buffer mm-hmm. between the God and the people. And so on the one hand, it's this great gift, but all, there's also a sense in which it's God with his, his presence is withdrawn from the people. And so when Christ dies on the cross, as we know from the Gospels, that veil is torn. And, and that veil, that's symbolizing really a couple things. I mean, one, um, the giving way of the old covenant, but two, the unleashing of God's presence in the world. Because now, think about this, then only the high priest, only once a year, can go into God's holy sacred presence. Mm-hmm. Now, anytime, anywhere, any of us can go before our Lord, before the tabernacles, before the blessed sacrament, at any time. And that's yeah. what's changed and Hebrews actually just expounds upon this when it talks about how now through Christ we can go into the heavenly holy of holies and we go there through the quote veil or through the curtain, Hebrews 1020. Mm-hmm. And what is that? That is his Jesus's flesh. It's a Eucharistic that's,
0: that's absolutely amazing. You know, you talk about just that one point that the veil has been rent and uh uh, and, 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 it's almost like God is loose, you know, and we, and we have access now, uh, to our father. We have access to the throne of grace and the source of mercy. You know, the mercy seat was in the, in the Holy of Holies and we now have access. And, uh, and this of course is all celebrated in the mass. And we'll talk about that you know, right after our break. I'm talking with Dr. Andrew Swafford. Uh, professor over at uh, Benedictine College in Atchison. Kansas, and I know that many of you are familiar with that fine, fine uh, college and the work that they're doing there. Uh, When I come back, I want to talk a little bit about the modern-day priesthood as it relates to the book of Hebrews and uh, give you a little bit of an appreciation for our our marvelous priests today, as well as I'm going to give you information on when the study comes out and how you and your parish can get a hold of it. You're listening to The Jeff Caven Show.
2: Hi, I'm Sonya Corbett, the Bible Study Evangelista and a Baptist turned Catholic. As a Baptist, I thought that Catholic beliefs were invented, that they came out of nowhere and had no connection whatsoever to the Bible. I also happened to believe that the Old Testament was about rules, rituals, and sacrifices that the New Testament gave us permission to ignore for a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a long story, but as God began connecting the Old and New Testaments for me, I was stunned by the beautiful consistency of God in the Catholic Church. I can't tell you how exciting it was when God opened my eyes to the incredible ways the Old Testament foreshadows God's plan for the New Testament and for His Catholic Church. In my book, Fulfilled, Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, I explain these amazing connections and I share how those connections helped change my life. If you read this book, I promise that you will come away with tools to help you share your Catholic faith easily, answer questions about how your Catholic faith fits with what's in the Bible, and most importantly grow deeper in your relationship with Christ. If you're interested in learning more or ordering a copy of Fulfilled Uncovering the Biblical Roots of Catholicism, you can do so at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon.
0: And I want to welcome you back. Have you ever have you ever looked at your parish priest and thought to yourself, well, I've heard of priests in the Old Testament, and somehow, someway, Father so-and-so must be connected to them. Well, the answer is he is connected to the great high priest, Jesus Christ. And uh, yes, he is conducting a sacrifice. In fact, uh, by the way, I want to welcome uh, Dr. Swaver back uh, into our conversation here. Uh, I heard a Dr. Swafford scholar say one time, he said that if, if Jewish scholars who are very familiar with the Old Testament were sitting in a balcony and watching the holy sacrifice of the mass, the moment the priest washes his hands, they would immediately say, there's going to be a sacrifice here. And, and, uh, this, this great going behind the veil and the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the victim and the priest is so spectacular, but we continue to experience it today, but we don't re-kill Jesus, do we? We don't re-kill or re-sacrifice or re-nail him to a cross, do we?
1: No, no. Jesus died, as he, as Hebrew says, once and for all, uh, he is in glory. So he is no longer suffering. He's no longer bleeding. Uh. But he ascends into heaven after his resurrection. He presents his self offering to the Father. He, that self offering, as the Catechism puts it, the Council of Trent put it, it's one of the same sacrifice. From the Last Supper to the cross to his ascension to heaven, it's one sacrifice, but different modes. Uh, on the cross, it's bloody. Otherwise, it's unbloody. So it's the same sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but made present through Christ's risen and glorified humanity. So he's not suffering, he's not bleeding, but it is a sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that. Uh ratifies and establishes the new covenant
0: isn't it ironic you know as I was thinking about this as you and i were were uh shooting the video, you've done a great job with the the workbook and the, the you know that goes with it, and as we were as we were shooting uh it 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 really it really hit me. Uh, personally that the the letter was was written, I think, in response to people going through tough times, you know uh, difficult times people were going through, and and in order to comfort them, uh, the Lord sees fit to describe to us what He went through suffering for us, and in a sense opens up the the, the riches that are available available to us for those that do struggle and those who are are dealing with with uh, great hurdles in their life and great obstacles and suffering how do you think that the letter to the hebrews will will minister to them
1: hmm. yeah it, you know i really sensed in preparing for this study that uh, there's a timeliness of it for, for many reasons and, and there's they're still ongoing uh, whether it's just covid or and beyond um, <clears throat> There's When you look at he, I think the way I'd start with this is Hebrews, when it talks about Jesus, on the one hand, right out of the chute, it talks about just how Jesus is on the creator side of the creator creature divide. Uh, he is the one through whom all things were, were made. He is the eternal son. So this really high view of who Jesus is, as we profess in the Creed and at River Mass. Uh, at the same time, you have another place where Hebrews references the agon in the garden. So you got this, this, the divinity of Jesus and the clear humanity of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is self emptying as St. Paul teaches in Philippians, even to the point of the, of the cross his agony in the garden. And so I think the first thing I would say is, you know, we can handle, we can talk about difficult times, difficult struggles in different ways. We can talk about redemptive suffering. We could talk about kind of logical answers to the problem of evil. But I think at a deep, deep level, wherever we are, there's a real sense in which Jesus was there first, Jesus mm-hmm. was there first, and I think Hebrews really emphasizes that, and, and, and Hebrews, as you said, is, is written to um, a context of persecution, of suffering. Uh, it, it's an exhortation to cling to the heavenly New covenant and not uh, fall back into the old and not be afraid of persecution. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, our hope is in Jesus, our hope is in the Lord. The virtue of hope, it's not just optimism. It's not just a feeling. Um, the basis for our virtue, the virtue of hope and what it's really all about is, is one, knowing I am ultimately not made for this world. This world is beautiful. It is good. It is rich. And we should enjoy it and cherish it. And we should do everything we can to create a just and charitable order. But ultimately, we're not made for this order. And then two, despite appearances of the contrary, God is always at work. I like to think of the Joseph narrative when Joseph is sold into slavery and then he has those great reconciliation scenes in Genesis 45 and 50 with his brothers saying, you meant this for evil, but God allowed it that good may come, that many would be saved. God is doing a great work even now, not just in our country and in our world, not just with COVID, not just with, um, you know, the... um, the racial discussions we're having and, and just the, the tragic death of George Floyd. And then now in the, the riots and the like um, he's doing a great work in my heart and in your heart and in our families, there's, there's a great work that our Lord is doing. And on the one hand, we don't play a moral calculus game and kind of say, well, it was worth it for this and that reason. No, no, no. But we just trust, we trust that our Lord is at work and that's the virtue of hope. And I think Hebrews really, it, it's all Christocentric wherever we are now. Jesus was there first and Jesus is with us now because he lives. He is risen.
0: I I love that when you say Jesus was there first, because uh, as you cover in the actual study in chapter 12 talks about uh, the fact that, uh, that we need to look to Jesus who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith he's the beginning he is the one who perfects our faith and that's right on the tail end of chapter 11 which is the hall of faith and and literally the the writer uh, to the hebrews goes through the entire Old Testament and talks about how people walked by faith, and people can do that as well today. Okay, so the title of the study is Hebrews, the New and Eternal Covenant, and the study is now available for pre-order at ascensionpress.com, and uh, it will ship in late August. So it's going to get out there a little earlier than I had anticipated, and my friends, this is good for group study you can do uh, You can do the workbook, you have online videos available to you with uh, Ascension, and uh, of course, Ascension makes it possible for your parish to have not just one, not two, not three, not four, five six, but even ten, fifteen twenty studies going on at the same time via the marvelous technology that that, that we have. Individuals can do the work, and you can go through the the study as well. Maybe you don't have, uh, maybe you can't get together with people, even at the time of this release in August, you can still go through it, uh, go through it uh, online. And we hope that you do. And if you're wondering if there should be a Bible study in your parish and there's not, and you're hoping that somebody will start one, well, guess what? (laughs) You might be that person. Uh, You might be that person. Uh, it has to start somewhere, and uh, maybe you're going from follower to leader now, and that can be a little bit of a, uh, you know, of a, of a leap. But you can do it. You can do it, and we've got a great staff on hand that will walk you through that. As we conclude, uh, uh, Dr. Swafford, uh, one last thought of this book of uh, book, uh, the letter to the Hebrews, and and um, why people should get into a study on this particular letter.
1: Well, it's sort of like when people say, which, which Bible should I read? Which translation is like best? And I always say, well, the one you read, that's the best translation, right? So just get, you know, get into God's word. Um, I, the one reason I felt a sense of kind of divine timing and timeliness for the study is, uh, you know, we've been away from the Eucharist for a long time, and many of us are maybe just starting to get back. And uh, it's it, the one thing that comes out in a pronounced way in Hebrews is this, the new covenant is not just a document, it's not just the New Testament. The new covenant is a liturgical reality. And it, there's a real sense in which the cross is the fulfillment of the entire biblical story, but that even leads to the Eucharist—that the entire biblical story really is fulfilled in the Holy Eucharist—that um, that's the center, the source, and the summit, as Vatican II taught. And so I, I sense the kind of a, a timeliness of it that, as um, is, is wonderful as Bible study is, this will show us that the Bible itself points us back to the mass. Right.
0: Well Dr. Swaffer, thanks again for uh, for joining me on the show today and we're going to have you back certainly in the future and I hope we get to do some more studies in in the future well my friend, I hope you get into the letter to the Hebrews. I know it's going to make a lot of sense particularly out of the Old Testament and the mass and the whole idea of the priesthood By the way, if you want the show notes for not only this show but all the shows in the future, all you got to do is type my name full name Jeff Cavens one word and uh, you can text three three seven seven Seven. That's easy. It's biblical. 33777. Seven, seven. want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you and ask you to pray for me as well. And, and I do pray right now in the name of Jesus that, that you will be blessed, so blessed with this study. Look forward to seeing you next week and you have a, a wonderful week and remember to walk as a modern day disciple, an activated disciple.